August 20th, 2006. An important day. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, what in the world was August 20th, 2006? Well, I actually had to do a little bit of research myself, but I was trying to remember what my first Sunday was here at La Jolla Presbyterian Church. And it was August 20th, 2006. Because I knew that at some point in August of this year, I would be starting my 15th year of ministry at La Jolla Presbyterian Church. And what an incredible gift it has been. What an incredible blessing it has been to be able to serve as your pastor, to be able to watch our children grow up in this church, to be encouraged by so many people in this church, for my wife and I to be able to share in relationships with all of you, in ministry with all of you, of fellowship with you, in mission with all of you. You've truly been an inspiration. And so I want to say thank you for that help. Thank you uh, for experiencing and expressing the transforming love of Jesus Christ in such a winsome way. Now, I have to be honest. I did not expect to begin my 15th year of La Jolla Presbyterian Church staring into a camera with nobody else in the room. This has been a very strange season of ministry. And yet what we have to remember in the midst of that is that God is still with us. I hope, and I know we've been spending a lot of time in Jeremiah pretty much this whole summer, but I hope in Jeremiah you are seeing reminders and you are seeing glimpses of God's mercy and grace and God's hope in the midst of uncertain times, in the midst of exile. God continues to speak in and through Jeremiah. And that's been a great word for me as well. And so this morning we continue on. We're going to be in the sermon series through Labor Day weekend. So we are drawing to a close, but a few more Sundays. But we continue on in looking at the story of Jeremiah. And this day, today, we turn to Jeremiah chapter 32, the first 15 verses. And it's an interesting story. It it doesn't need much of a setup uh, because it's a narrative. It's a story. It happens around 588 or 587 B.C., right before the Babylonians destroy the city of Jerusalem and send everybody in to exile. And Jeremiah receives a visitor. It's actually his cousin um, and offers and says to him, I want you to buy this field. And Jeremiah is in prison as we read this, but it's interesting. And I want you now to listen to the story about Jeremiah buying a field in Anathoth, his hometown verses one through 15, Jeremiah 32. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. He was in prison. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians, but will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me, Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, 
is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it. Buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Mashiach, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and all, all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Do you think Jeremiah was a little crazy? He was not a young person. He knew that Judah was going to be going into exile for 70 years. And his cousin comes to him and says, I want you to buy this field. Well, who's he going to buy the field for? What kind of sense does this make? But what does Jeremiah do? Well, he buys the field. He weighs out the silver. He signs the documents. He places them in a clay clay jar for posterity's sake so that when the 70 years have ended, people will know that this is his land. He makes an investment in the future. I would call it, as Eugene Peterson calls it, a deliberate act of hope. Because when Jeremiah looks around at the world that he is a part of, as he sees Jerusalem about ready to fall, when he buys that field, it's, it's two or three miles from Jerusalem. There are literally Babylonians camped out on the field that he is buying and saying, one day I'm going to, to have this. One day I'm going to reclaim this. One day this is going to be mine. It's an absolutely incredible act of faith that he makes to purchase this field, to invest in something that seems absolutely crazy. It is a deliberate act of hope. But I think as followers of Jesus, it is these deliberate acts of hope that we are called to at different times in our lives to step out in faith, to trust in the plan that God has for us. Even when we look around our surroundings and it doesn't make sense to anyone to believe that God is at work. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 1. This is verses 4 through 6, particularly focusing on 6. But as he describes this, he says, I, In all my prayers for all of you, Paul says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has a plan. Jeremiah knows 
that God has a plan. Jeremiah trusts in the future. And so he steps out in faith and takes a deliberate act and makes a deliberate act of hope. Deliberate acts of hope. It's what the church is supposed to be about. It's what we're supposed to be about as individuals. And I want to share with you one of those deliberate acts of hope. And it revolves around urban life. Uh, The story I want to tell in just a moment, um, I hope you find inspirational and encouraging. And then after I tell the story, um, you're going to hear an interview that I had last week with Jose Vallejo. Jose is the executive director of Urban Life. And uh, during our mission drive through on, on Saturday, he was up here and we had a little conversation about how things are going with Urban Life. But I want to skip back to 2006, 2007. When I arrived at La Jolla Presbyterian Church, many of you know things were, it was a struggle. A third of the church had basically left over division. A third of the budget had had gone away. And the church also found itself in $4.5 million of debt on this new wonderful facility that had been constructed. And as we gathered, and I remember meeting with the elders in early 2007 and talking about what is our vision? What is our mission? What is God calling us to be about? How can we not only work on growing our church here in La Jolla, but how can we care for the city around us? At that point, Jake Medcalf was on our staff, and he had begun an outreach ministry to Mission Bay High School. And what we decided we wanted to do was to begin to figure out a way to possibly even plant a church around Mission Bay High School, to reach out to those students and to gather them and to figure out ways that we can share the gospel with them. But what we discovered was those students we were working with at Mission Bay High School, they didn't live in the neighborhood. They lived in City Heights. And so it began as an outreach ministry of La Jolla Presbyterian Church that we actually called Sunhouse Urban. We soon discovered that the people we were trying to work with and the people we were trying to reach did not live in the neighborhood. They lived down in City Heights. And so I remember gathering with Stan Beard and Jake and sitting in the conference room by my office saying, how do we engage in this? What is this going to look like? What is our mission to the neighborhood and the community of City Heights? And we dreamed up a plan and we presented it to the elders. And we said, we always think when you do these things, you're like, do you give too much information or too little information? And so we gave all sorts of information. And we said, we believe God is calling us to reach the community of City Heights in the name of Jesus. And our elders responded positively. And you think about this. Remember, we were four and a half million dollars in debt. Remember, that was $220,000 a year of mortgage payments. And all of a sudden, we were allocating resources, reallocating resources, asking for us to step out in faith, asking our people to trust us in beginning this new ministry in City Heights that eventually became Urban Life. And I have to tell you, it has made a huge difference in the life of this church. Because I can look back at those years, and what it allowed us to do was it allowed us to see a bigger picture. Things in La Jolla weren't that bad. There was a neighborhood that needed help. There were students crying out for help. And you all were a huge part of that. It was a deliberate act of hope, trusting that God would be with us. 
And as many of you know that story, literally within a year of us making that decision, we received an estate gift that paid off all of the debt. And La Jolla Press was debt free. Because you and our elders made a deliberate act of hope. And so I've invited Jose. We're going to share a little bit about what's happening in urban life these days, what's been going on, especially since the days of COVID. And it's just great to be able to hear from him. Uh, So this morning, I'm here with Jose Vallejo, who is the executive director at Urban Life. And many of you have had an opportunity uh, to meet him at different events we've had here at the church. Uh, We're actually having our drive-through mission day today, and Jose is here with the Urban Life team. And I just wanted to ask him a couple of questions about things, or how things are going with Urban Life. Many of you know that this ministry was begun out of La Jolla Press about 12 years ago and continues to do great work in City Heights and the surrounding area. So um, as we all know, COVID has been a big impact on ministry and mission and church life and urban urban life as a whole. So Jose, I'd love for you just to share with us a little bit about um, what you all are facing in in the face of, of COVID. Yeah. So very early on, and I think we shared this in our spring newsletter, but uh, I think believe it was the week of March 14th where the order initially came out and you were given a few days of head notice. Uh, I think everybody was in a panic in our mm-hmm. community. And so you had a lot of panic shopping and, and the shelves went empty pretty quickly. And I think at that point, the staff and I kind of determined that this was going to be a little bit, it would have unintended consequences in ways that could impact our families, particularly uh, our, our, obviously our low-income families, yeah. which make up a lot, our large part of the City Heights resident pool. And so what we did was try to leverage some of our resources with our business license at Restaurant Depot and buy some staples. Um, and we essentially gathered our, our human resources and then our, our, um, our database in that week following, we reached out to the vast majority of our families, about 130 of them, and then identified 40 that were higher need either because of job losses, furloughs, um, or, or issues with rental income. Mm-hmm. And so we began a food distribution oh, wow. uh, that, that week, and, and we've been doing that consistently since that week. And that was completely a new, hmm. a new thing for us. So we've been very programmatic for the most part, but we realized we really had to shift to more of a case management, add or really add to a case management yeah. approach and get more intentional with our families. And so... We've been doing that. It's been a, it's been an interesting up and down. Depending on the family, different needs come up. Uh, some of them get called back for a portion of their hours. Others still haven't had hours yeah. uh, replaced. And so we we anticipate that this will continue to be something we do into the next six months okay. or four, five months. Um, and that's really been it's been a blessing in a lot of ways. But it's also been an added layer of of activity for us and new. Yeah. Luckily, we're able to build relationships with local food banks to provide that service. I think programmatically, when you think about our four core areas of spiritual development, academic, physical, and then workforce development, our worlds have shifted depending mm-hmm. on the program. Uh, we're living in this kind of influx season of uh, Zoom, digital-based world, and some in-person with the right social distancing restrictions. But that's been hard. I think the Zoom piece, the digital piece, has been hard on students emotionally, and so uh, the psychosocial aspect mm-hmm. has been hard. Uh, when you live in a small confined space and uh, you have limited options of activity beyond that, it really starts uh, wearing you down. I think yeah. over time, and we've noticed that through the Zoom aspect. And so, most recently, we've tried to identify opportunities to reopen in person. 
so long as it's appropriate and right. so long as we can execute the, all the different guidelines <laughs> yeah. that we need to execute. So it's been stressful. Yeah, it's been I, stressful, I and I think that the staff have have been champions. I mean, they've they've worked hard, and we've been doing a lot of internal work to make sure that our our mental state is is balanced, yeah. and that we're being reminded of the fact that God maybe is calling us to something higher in this season. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm That's sure great. you have other questions. No, no, so I'm, I'm and I know that cri- I, I really feel like crisis accelerates change. Like if things 100%. were already happening, crisis just makes it go 100%, 100%. faster, either for, for good or for bad. Right. And I know you guys are great at implementing and rethinking and, you know, pivoting. As I, I talk yeah. about fluidly yeah. pivoting or pivoting yeah. fluidly, whatever it is. Um, but where, uh, share a little bit about where uh, you talk some of the struggles, but where, where have you seen God also in the midst of, of all of that? For sure. I think definitely when it comes to um, discussions around racial reconciliation mm. and, and healing uh, from racial trauma, we've been trying to do a lot of that work internally, first as a staff. I think that there are many things happening in the world today, and we're all being called in different ways uh, to areas of growth, and we're also all responding in different ways. And I'm a true believer in the fact that God has each person on a journey and that God knows the pace at which he wants mm-hmm. those people to grow. But I, I do feel that God's calling us collectively into areas of growth, a collective growth, um, that, that may be prompting, ex- being expedited by God in some yeah. way. I'm not sure. We don't know exactly how tangibly, but we know that there's internal work that we need to do. Um, as advocates of Youth in City Heights, which is a very diverse community, yeah. as you know, um, we, we took it upon ourselves to do some more of our internal work and work on our dynamics as a staff. We're, we're our diverse staff. And um, we know that, that, that racial trauma is something that is real and that people who are part of it, as much as people who are on the receiving end and vice versa, there's healing that God wants to do on both sides and, and both ways. Um, so that's been, it's been a healing season yeah. in an awkward way. In the midst of crisis, there's been opportunity for healing and growth. And so we're, we're appreciative of that. Yeah. You know, me personally... Um, I'm a workaholic and I feel like God in this season has called me to surrender that mm-hmm. because there's still things I got to do, yeah. but I'm realizing that the Holy Spirit wants me to continue to do them in a manner in which it's, it's surrendered to God yeah. and trusting God that God is the one that's going to see us through. Yes, our hard work will have results in fruits, but that it's God and by his grace that those fruits come about, yeah. right? He's the one that's engineered until the soil for right. lack of a better term for those fruits to come about. And so it's, yeah, I know that this is abstract still, even what I'm saying, but I, th- I feel like we've seen God in the midst of our staff and in some areas of healing for us. And I trust that in doing that internal work, we'll be better suited to address some of the needs of our students yeah. because they're also, I mean, they've expressed right. during program a lot, of, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of angst. And what we want to do is kind of support the healing process rather than... Um, yeah, rather than being either deaf tone or, yeah. or not presenting tangible, practical responses to their needs. And so we, Urban Life's always been about that, and we're right. thankful to La Jolla Press because you guys have always been a part of that, those solutions from the beginning. Um, and I, we just feel like God's pressing us even further, deeper into that commitment long term. Yeah. But it's not an overnight thing. It's not a <laughs> this summer thing or this year thing. It's yeah. going to be years to come. You know? yeah. it, it's it's. It's an ongoing struggle. It is, yeah, <laughs> and I'm so grateful for you, Jose. And just I want everyone to know um, what an incredible, gifted leader Jose is because he has done some um, really good 
good hard work that needs to be done in City Heights. And so I thank you um, for that. What, uh, anything else you want to share with us? And specifically, how can we be praying for you guys as you move forward? Yeah, I think in terms of uh, petitions or prayer requests, primarily um, that our students, that the Holy Spirit continues to move in the midst of everything that's going on. You know, social distancing, I think, makes it hard for us to gather in youth group as we typically do with the proximity that's needed between people to to be able to share God's love and experience um, God's presence in, in our usual way. But I would just pray that you guys be praying for the Holy Spirit to be moving throughout City Heights and throughout urban life and that God will give us the creativity, uh, the innovation, and also the wisdom so that we move prudently, but that we can also move in ways that have impact. Because I know that God wants to talk to a lot of our youth in this season. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we were sharing, we, were, we had a senior celebration uh, at the farm and that was interesting. A lot of the seniors didn't get celebrated right in a usual way and I was sharing with them the fact that it's no coincidence that God wants his particular graduating class, that they allowed, that he's allowed their class to experience this season in such a way and that God's calling them into a higher, a higher call, a higher vocation. It's not just about them yeah. and their dreams and their aspirations for the future, but that God's, God wants them to plug into the, his larger body, right, the larger yeah. church, and, and find out how to be of service, how to heal. Um, so I would pray that, yeah, you know, along praying with the Holy Spirit being present in our community, that, that God would uh, speak to us in a clear voice and in a clear way, and that we would be ready to listen so that we can continue to be about the work. Because yeah. COVID, God willing, COVID will pass or right. we'll find a solution to it. But the, the last thing we want to do is forget or mute what God is trying to tell us right now. We want to take whatever God's trying to tell us right now into that next season. Yeah. Um, and I just pray that, that we'll be listening clearly. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jose, I want to thank you for joining me. And to the people of La Jolla Press, um, thank you for your support of our church, of Urban Life. You all have been a huge part, as Jose said, to to help with that. Um, On a short term, Jose and I actually were just talking that with school not going back in person, uh, I think there's going to be some unique opportunities for us to be able to help um, not only Urban Life, but also Ebenezer Church. So you can pay attention to that, and we'll be uh, giving you more information about that. So thanks again, Jose. Thank you, guys. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Paul. Uh, and now, friends, I just want to pray for Urban Life, for Jose. And if you feel comfortable, we normally if we're in person, we just raise a hand of blessing. So I'm going to raise my hand over Jose and, in a sense, raising a hand mm-hmm. over Urban Life. So uh, let's pray. God, thank you for just the ways in which you have blessed Urban Life. From the early days when it was actually called Sunhouse Urban, as it began uh, a mission out of this church. And, God, you just continue to call and create and bring new people into this ministry. I thank you for Jose. I thank you for their team. I thank you for the good work that they are doing around these conversations of race. Um, Lord, there have been a number of those in our own community and throughout this city and world. And I pray that you give their leadership team wisdom and insight and discernment in knowing, knowing, Lord, how we move forward, how we continue to have the harder conversations, but, Lord, also how we begin to bring resolution. And so thank you for Jose's willingness uh, to go deep and to till the, toil, till the soil that has been um, already been turned up. And, Lord, just um, would you anoint their ministry and their mission. Mm-hmm. Continue to grant them your favor and your blessing. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus name. Well, the future is bright in City Heights because of urban life. Because of actually a difference that you all helped to make many, many years ago. Students are hearing about the love and the good news of Jesus Christ. And so there is a future for them. The interesting thing, that word future in the Hebrew language means afterward or backwards. 
It was the image of a person, the idea of rowing a boat. And when you row a boat, if you think about that, you can see where you have been, but you don't know where you're going because your back is to the future. You basically back in to the future. And if you think about the image of rowing crew, I had a good friend in college who rowed crew and he talked about the importance of the coxswain that you, you had to be in great shape and, and you had to be listening, but you had to listen for the voice because the coxswain was the person who could see where you were going. You trusted your future to that voice. You trusted your victory to that voice. And in much the same way as we think about our future, we have to look to Jesus. We can see where we have been, but we don't necessarily know where we are going. But we need the faith to step out and to make deliberate acts of hope. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, puts it like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. May we fix our eyes on Jesus. As we literally kind of back into the future, we don't know exactly what it holds. As we take and make deliberate acts of hope, may we focus our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. May we think about this week, where it is that God is calling us to step out in faith and to move out in hope in a deliberate sort of way. Pray with me, please. God, thanks for your love. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your mercy. Thank you that you are always with us. Your voice speaks hope to us. And Lord, help us to move out in that hope. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.